Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill, and unfortunately Dylan Johnson will not be with us this episode, much like last week where I had to miss part of the Mario show because I was gone, I was in Tennessee. This weekend, Dylan is in Tennessee. Copycat, I was there first. But nonetheless, the show must go on, and we will have some guests coming in later in the episode to help us do another edition of Guest Flick Picks, where we bring on fellow filmmakers and film fans to pick out a movie that they're passionate about for us to discuss. And the guests for this episode are Owen West and Cameron Emery, who are making their return to the podcast, but they were on separate episodes originally. Now we were finally able to get them together on the same podcast. So that'll be really great. And we're going to all talk about the indie darling Shiva Baby. Okay, now to go over some news, some small announcements here and there. We have Godzilla and Kong, The New Empire, the sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. That is going to be coming out in 2024. They released a little teaser trailer, so that'll be a fun little thing to look forward to. I'm a fan of the MonsterVerse. Again, it's just big, huge creatures fighting it out. That is awesome. I mean, come on. So that'll be something to look forward to. Something that I'm not going to be looking forward to, although maybe there's some folks out, out there that will be. There's a Twilight TV adaptation in the works. Apparently they saw Harry Potter rebooting their franchise, just making it a TV series, and they said, let's do that for us. So you may see more Twilight coming in the near future to your small screen TV. After that, Superman Legacy is finally entering pre-production officially james gunn has been sending out some messages on social media hinting at that fact so we're getting closer and closer to casting so that'll be really interesting to see who they end up going with for a younger superman and they're certainly going to have the entire dc universe on their shoulders so it's going to be a massive role great opportunity but a lot of pressure there so We'll continue to report on how that goes as the pre-production process moves along. Killers of the Flower Moon, my most anticipated movie of this year. Same for Dylan. We know that's going to come out this year, at least later in October. And we now have word about the runtime. It'll be a whopping three hour and 26 minutes. And you know what? It's not enough. Give us the four hour cut. We can take it. I mean, this will be... A huge cinematic event. It'll be fantastic. Give us as much as we can take. I mean, let's go. And finally, The Mandalorian and Star Trek Picard. Each of them recently finished their third season. Their season uh, finales came out this past week. So now is the time to start catching up on those shows if you've been waiting to binge them. I know for me, for Mandalorian, I definitely need to get around to that. But I had no urgency to do so which isn't great considering now they're gonna have a mando movie later down the line so now it's it's gonna become mandatory viewing so i definitely got to get on it but yeah just that that urge to watch it it was not there which is a shame but at some point i will get around to it especially since now the full season is out moving on to the box office breakdown for april 14th to the 16th in first place no shock there, but what was a huge surprise was just 
how much money it made in its second weekend Super Mario Bros. movie. 92 million. That's insane. A 37% drop. Hugely impressive. This is one of the best second weekends ever. It just slightly beat out Top Gun Maverick. And I think we, we've been talking about it in the draft. What is going to be the breakout of this year? What is going to perform similar to Top Gun Maverick and then Spider-Man No Way Home the year before it? It seems like we have our answer very clearly. The Super Mario Bros. movie. Now, it's not quite on the Maverick level of being a total surprise. I mean, we knew Mario Bros. had big potential, but this is truly, I mean, it's like the best case scenario for it. That's what's really impressive here and making it the Maverick of this year. It made 300 million domestic so far, 700 million worldwide just about so far. Already it's taken the crown for highest grossing video game movie of all time. It is the number one movie of 2023 so far, clearly beating out Ant-Man, which was the highest American movie. And then China had some movies that made 600 something million. Those have now been dethroned. And it seems like Mario Bros. is just going to continue to add to its count and secure its number one position for 2023. We'll have to see if any other movie will be able to challenge it. But I don't know. I think it's it's pretty much locked that Mario Bros. is going to get well over a billion and it's going to be the number one. If not, it's going to be right at number two. After that, for the weekend, The Pope's Exorcist came in at number two, nine million, which is a big surprise. We thought Renfield was going to be the one that would take the second place spot, but no. Pope's Exorcist came in with 9 million. John Wick 4 also beating out Renfield with 8 million, just barely, because Renfield had 8 million. But that is certainly a disappointing debut, getting beaten by a film that came out three weeks prior. And then one of the other films that it was debuting alongside, having its opening weekend, it got beat out. Not great. Air, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, 7.8 million. So doing really well for itself. I mean, those are some great holds uh, for that, too. Dungeons and Dragons was 7.5 million. After that, Suzumi, 5 million. The anime film by Makoto Shinkai, who, of course, is like one of the premier animators, most famous for Your Name and then Weathering with You. But I mean, yeah, he's a rock star. That film has made 300 million worldwide so far. Huge, massive stuff coming out of Japan there. Mafia Mama with 2 million. So not a great debut for that, but I mean, yeah, that does seem like a streaming movie. So people are probably just waiting for that to hit whatever streaming platform it will go to. Scream 6 doing well for itself, still holding on 1.4 million. And then rounding out the top 10, Nefarious with 1.3 million. That means that we have had Creed 3 drop out, made 1 million, not enough to be in the top 10. So it's run domestically, caps out at around 155 million after seven weeks. So a really solid performance there. Again, it's the number one of the Rocky franchise domestically, so good for them. And then Shazam 2 also got dropped off the list, had a hard fall. It only made 300000 this past weekend, making its domestic total after five weeks $57 million. Compare that to the original Shazam's gross of $140 million, and you'll see just how big of a disaster Shazam 2 is. They were a little coy about whether or not Zachary Levi and the character Shazam would be continuing in the DC universe and would be one of the few parts of the DCEU that would get carried over. I think it's safe to say that uh, he's not going to get a solo movie in the DCU. That's not happening. He may still stick around, but even then, 
it does not seem like people really care for this character. So big DOA, horrible performance for Shazam 2. What a shame. For the coming weekend, April 21st to 23rd, we have a whole bunch of films, but the one that probably will take the cake for the number two spot, because Mario in his third weekend will still hold the crown. We'll talk about that. But Evil Dead Rise is debuting, and it seems like it's going to get around $20 million. That's what the projections are. It started out in the low teens, but it's continually risen up. So I think it does have a very strong fan base, so it does make sense that it, plus being horror, it's going to get people out to theater. So yeah, I'll say high teens, or it'll just break the 20 million barrier. But Mario will come out on top for the weekend, no doubt. We'll just have to see how well it does in the third weekend. Of course, second weekend drops are notoriously steep, but this one had a fantastic hold. And then third weekends, which usually are much better. I mean, almost always are better than second weekend, but usually that what that is what informs us about how the legs will be for the film. I'm thinking this one is going to do quite well again. I'm thinking over 55 million for this weekend, but we shall see. Okay, now it is time to bring in Owen and Cameron for our discussion on Shiva Baby. Okay, and now I am here with our guests, Cameron and Owen. Thank you guys for joining. Hey, what's up? Hey. <laughs> Welcome back. We finally are all gathered on the show. It was not an easy process, I'll tell you that. There were so many curveballs, so many technical issues, so many schedules not lining up. But finally, we were able to get you both on at the same time for this episode. We'll be talking about Shiva Baby. So just to talk about the cast and crew that are part of it. It is the debut from writer-director Emma Seligman. Seligman? Does anyone know how exactly how to say that last name? I think it's Seligman. Seligman? Okay. So yeah, that was her first feature. And then she has another feature coming out later this year. Just debuted at South by Southwest uh, like a month ago, right? That was when South by was. It was in March. Um, So her film Bottoms is coming out later this year at some point, distributed by MGM, as we figured out from our research just before the show. So it should have a theatrical release later on. So it'll be exciting to see her team up with Rachel Sennett yet again. And Rachel Sennett, of course, the star of Shiva Baby. She was also recently part of the cast of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And then also rounding out the Shiva Baby cast, Molly Gordon, Polly Draper, Diana Agron, Danny DeFerrari, and a bunch more. But we are now, and it came out in 2020, so it's been a few years, but it's been on streaming for a little bit, and we were finally able to catch up with it. Cameron, you were actually the one who had seen this previously and wanted to select it for your guest flick pick. So talk about your experience with Shiva Baby when you first learned about it and watched it, and how come you wanted to uh, bring it on to discuss it for the show. Yeah, sure. Um, can you guys hear me okay? 
can hear you perfectly yeah all right so yeah i'm in this sapphic discord server and we we're always talking about different sapphic media so we were just talking about watching that or another movie called kajillionaire and it ended up being that we watched shiva baby and i was excited about it because i didn't know anything about it for um, for the uninformed listeners and the uninformed uh podcast hosts can you talk about what uh that term meant you said the Sapphic, sapphic, what was it? Sapphic, sapphic. sapphic. There you yeah. go. Yeah, sapphic just means uh, usually, typically, women or non-binary people who are also attracted to women or non-binary people. Just sapphic, yeah. Gotcha. Like okay. Sappho, like Sappho, the poet. Gotcha. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No worries. Um, and so yeah, uh, we were gonna watch Shiva Baby, and we decided to watch. It. I knew nothing about it going into it. And basically, it was just, I don't know, kind of almost like a psychological thriller in a way. Like, you just didn't know what was going on the whole time. And it was so stressful, such a stressful watch. And I was like, this is such an, a cool little indie movie. So I was like, I love indie cinema and I love promoting it. So I thought it would be a good idea to talk about it on the show. Awesome. Cool. So, Owen, for you, this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah, gotcha. So I was uh, I, I I missed the uh, that night for the movie night whenever we showed that in the Sapphic server. Are you in that? that yes, a... I am in that. Oh I'm wow! Not okay. only <laughs> not only in that, I am a mod in the Sapphic Vampire Clan. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing! But so you <laughs> weren't able to go to that uh, that movie night when they were showing it? No, I yeah. So this is my first time watching it yesterday. Dang, crazy! All right, so then what were your impressions of it? I thought it was quite good. I thought it was a very interesting concept. Um, it's one of, I have not seen the short film um, that it's based on, but I think from, at least from what I saw, it's definitely one of the more successful short film to feature film translations that I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really, it was just very, just unique when I realized what it was going to be about, that it was, um, pretty much going to take place like entirely in one location over the course of like not that very long a period of time. I thought that that was like a really unique idea. Um, like I know it's been done before, but I was just really excited when I realized that that's where they were going with it. And yeah, I thought it was really great acting, really great writing, um, very minimal, but good directing. I'm excited to see, um, where this director goes next with uh, Bottoms. Um, so when that comes out, I will now very much be looking forward to it. Um, it's already getting really good reviews as well, which is wonderful. Yeah, that'll be exciting to see. Uh, but yeah, this was also my first time. I had heard about Shiva Baby uh, just from when it did the rounds at the festivals way back when. It was an indie darling. And then when Bodies, Bodies, Bodies came out recently, Rachel Sennett, I thought, was the standout of that film. Like, a lot of the actors were really good in that, but by far, I mean, Rachel Sennett just killed it in that. So then hearing more about some of the work she did previously, I was like, oh, okay, so she was in Shiva Baby. So it was always one that I meant to get around to, but never had the opportunity, like, just recently to watch it for the show. So, and it was also fascinating looking it up on YouTube Max. 
and just seeing first of all the runtime this is a very quick film like it comes in at under 90 minutes i think also under 80 minutes so it's a very short film uh and then it's also billed as a comedy and it also is like shiva baby when you know like the plot as well of it being about danielle who is a sugar baby and then the sugar daddy shows up to the shiva event which is some like funeral uh which i guess is over seven days right and this is just like one part of that uh death commemoration uh event that goes on in the jewish culture but yeah so obviously when the sugar daddy shows up hijinks ensue um but with this film those hijinks quickly turn into just scary horrific tense situations like they they definitely lean into the comic nature of this sort of situation and how it can be like awkward and really outputting but then they just hammer it home and really as you said Cameron like they make it a psychological thriller there's like some horror sensibilities at play like that score with the strings like it's pretty interesting how they were able to take that concept and then with the overall tone could be of just the comedy but they don't stick just to that and i think it did make the film a lot more dimensional it had a lot more shades to it so that was a really fascinating part of getting to see this film and see that it's not just a fun short little comedy <laughs> it's got a lot more to it than that um, but yes yeah, so, and then as you said as well and it's just in that one location basically it's the house and then the street right outside of it and those are like basically the only locations we see. So it works for the story as well of it being like a very confined situation that she's sort of trapped in and having to navigate. But then as we were talking about before, I mean, it's an indie film. There was a debut. It started out as a short film and then was turned into a feature. So it had a very small budget compared to most feature films that are out there. So it definitely worked in that sense of it's just character driven, one location. Um, and yet they're able to create a lot of drama, a lot of tension, a lot of laughs out of just this one location in the situation that they threw these characters into. So, yeah. Are there any standout moments? You were talking about like the acting and the writing. Are there any moments that you took away from it and you're like, that's one that's going to stick? Hmm. Um, I would say maybe the scene where they're talking about her jewelry that she had gotten and she had gotten it from him and the wife is talking about it as well. Um, that to me was kind of, I was like, whoa, what's going to happen? Is it going to unravel all right now in front of everyone? But it was so tense that whole time building up, like, is he going to be exposed for what's going on? I thought that scene was especially exciting. And then, uh, yeah, I, um, I think the two scenes I really liked are, um, I guess, uh, spoiler alert, um, the character Danielle has presumably, they've uh, broken up with their partner Maya, but obviously still have very strong feelings for her. I thought that there were some very nice subtleties in the movie, and one of my favorites is that she still has a photo of herself and Maya as the background on her phone and then the scene the two scenes between them that i really like are 
when they're in the when they're next to the house away from the party and they both admit like just very realistically that they miss each other and then danielle is like in such a high intense anxiety situation that like she can't stop herself from kissing maya like she needs that break that catharsis and i thought that was very sweet and very cute i also like the way maya has to like walk away not because she's like angry or upset but because she's just like so giddy um but like she has to get back to the party or well the um to the shiva and be chill um and then also the scene where she like is telling her about the phone um and how like you know oh i think i saw it in the bathroom or maybe it was in the kitchen I don't remember because she's like angry with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that the acting in that scene was also great because you can see like the the just initially Danielle trying to contain her desperation and be okay and thinking that she has like an ally in Maya and then like the betrayal and the anxiety and the fear realizing that her phone is unlocked and that Maya has presumably hidden it somewhere and has no intention of helping her. And is also now angry with her after they've just reconnected. And I thought that was a really like intense, intense and emotional scene. Um, and I liked that just about the whole movie. Like I mean, Cam and you already talked about it. It's just, it's the most anxious I've been watching something since uncut gems, like uncut gems gave me like constant <laughs> fight or flight the whole time. And that's how I felt watching this. I was like, I like. I got to the point where I was like, I'm gonna do other stuff while I watch this, so I don't feel like I'm being under it, like I'm under attack. <laughs> yeah, that's a way that I've seen it been described. It's like uncut gems for women in their early twenties going through <laughs> college. I was like, wow, yeah, <laughs> what a way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, funny. I think another thing that struck me like a a connection I made because I was thinking about okay so what is the story like focusing on we're clearly dealing with like Danielle a character who is on the verge of graduating right or had she already graduated um I think she's still in school question mark yeah because they were talking about her like maybe going to law school but yeah she she was a lie as well it was like gender politics or something that she was yeah, studying. That was her actual major. And then she was just, yeah, she was worried about like, okay, what's going to be the career options. And so I think her parents were like encouraging the law school thing. But I know that was also part of the lie that she was saying to the uh, sugar daddy character. Who, what was his name, by the way? Max. Max. There you go. So, yeah, so she, that was part of what she had told Max. Um, but. Yeah, so she's clearly about to hit that major turning point in life. Um, and then she doesn't know what's going to happen after that. She's sort of directionless. And again, having that uh, major that famously is cited as like, oh, a useless degree. It's not going to help you get a job at all. And so she has no obvious career prospects and she's about to get out of college. So yeah, she's a bit aimless at this point, not knowing where she's going to go. And then she's feeling constantly scrutinized by all the members of her family and then all the friends, extended like family friends that are all at the Shiva who all want to know about her life and are asking these questions and just trying to see what she's going to do next, even though she doesn't know, which was really reminiscent of that early portion of the graduate, like that initial party where he's 
just walking around that party and everyone's coming at him and saying like, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he is also just aimless, like has no idea of what he wants to do, doesn't have any desire to like pursue any of those things that they think would be great for him to do right after graduation. So I thought that was a compelling connection that I sort of made there of this is like that scene in the graduate, but just stretched out for a whole hour and using like that single event of like, oh, all these family friends and family members coming around and just seeing how far you can take the anxiety and the tension in that sort of situation. Um, So that was pretty interesting. I hate to put you all on the spot like this, but (laughs) you two are on the verge of graduation. So I remember watching The Graduate because I think, didn't we do it for our class last year? We watched The Graduate? I think so, yeah. 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 So I was on the verge of graduation at that point and I didn't know what exactly what I was going to do. Things were up in the air. So I was like, dang, like this was already a really good film. I remember watching it earlier in my like college stint but um it hit even harder when i was closer to being in that exact position and in that character's exact shoes so with you two having a few weeks to go before you are officially graduates was there any of that like wow i can connect to this on a very deep level and that's kind of like terrifying in a way uh i'll let owen go first (laughs) (laughs) um i think so yeah like i i definitely like you can definitely relate a lot i feel like the graduate touches on it like a bit harder just because it's just like it's in the one scene and it feels like it's sort of like punching you in the face with it but i do think this one is like it's incredibly realistic about it because the entire movie she's you know if she's there for an hour or two hours or however long she's there in movie time just like constantly being like oh what are your plans what are your plans what are your plans and like i mean maybe my my brain's pretending it's not anxious about it but like i'm definitely anxious about it and i relate to it in that regard because every single person that i talk to who i tell i'm graduating the first thing they do is what are your plans and i'm like isn't it like, okay, if I just don't have plans, like, can't you just say congratulations and let me move on with my day? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I thought I was going to apply to universal and I might still do that, but also maybe I'll do freelance. I don't know. Stop asking. Like, <laughs> it's so in that regard, like I definitely get it. And I think this movie was extra effective with it because that was like one of like the couple major anxieties that she was dealing with and i like that it was one of the ones that just would not let up the entire time she was there um and so in that regard like i think it's very relatable for people our age and people graduating from college because it's like you can definitely feel that overwhelming just other other people's need to like figure out like what you have going on and it's like i don't even know what i have going on like so it doesn't help that you're asking me (laughs) yeah very true very true yeah um i feel a lot of the same sentiments as owen does uh just about it in general i think it's a very daunting question when people ask you that because it seems like you're supposed to have your whole future planned out And it's like, hopefully I'll be around for a while, so I don't know everything that's going to happen. 
between now and my adult life, I guess. I'm not an adult yet. I don't claim it. <laughs> I'm a kid. I'm a child. Um, no, but I mean, what I mean is I plan to probably move out of the state that we're currently in because I don't like what's going on with everything, um, especially politically. But I just want to move to another place that has more opportunities as well. I know that. Uh, are we allowed to say where we're at? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, on the show before we've talked, like we people know that we're at UCF, so the Orlando area. Yeah, so um, out of the Orlando area, there's a lot of opportunities here as well for production, but I want to get more into the industry, and I feel like there are other locations like Atlanta and uh, Chicago even, and other places that have a lot of TV show work, and that's what I want to do with my career. I want to work on TV shows, so I want to move somewhere that has more opportunities for that. Uh, whether it's just like doing PA work at the beginning or whatever, but working up to being a TV writer or showrunner. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's interesting for us film people because part of the question of, oh, so what are your plans? What are you going to do? It's usually always accompanied with, oh, are you going to LA? Or are you going to go to Atlanta? Like, where are you going to go? <laughs> yeah. Which it's unfortunate that Orlando doesn't have a more robust and healthy narrative film industry like there's a lot of commercial work and then down in miami sort of the same thing music videos but there's nothing really that if you want to be into like those narrative fiction feature film projects yeah you got to go to atlanta or la or up to new york so yeah that's always the other component of it's like oh so are you gonna when are you going to get started on uprooting your whole life and moving across the country or at least to the next state above us? Um, so, yeah, that is definitely a dreadful sort of question to always have to engage with whenever you're meeting with people and you let them know about the graduation. And it's, I mean, obviously it comes from a good place. Like they're not trying to like put you on the spot or be like, oh, I bet he doesn't have it figured out or I bet they don't have any clue what they're going to do. They're probably just like, oh, let me, that's an exciting thing. Let me continue the conversation by asking like what's next. But the thing I've always thought about too is you always know what the next step is until you graduate college. Cause then it truly like the possibilities are kind of endless. Like there's no track that you're on anymore. Cause K through 12, you're always just going to next grade. And then for most people, usually the next step is okay. Go into college um either directly or they go to like a community college something like that but yeah once you graduate from college then it's like okay now there is no training wheels basically like you don't have any set path for you now you gotta choose what it is you're gonna do and then spend the rest of your life doing that so definitely a nerve-wracking thing to think about but i agree this film definitely captured how nerve-wracking that is, how anxious it can make you to constantly engage with those questions and how it can feel like, yeah, if you don't have that sense of what you're going to do, it just, it's so like degrading and kind of, not degrading, that's kind of a harsh word for it, but it definitely does lower your self-esteem and make it feel like your self-worth is tied to having something specific that you're going to do with your life once you graduate there's never really that space to just like chill and figure things out 
Like it's always you're on the move, you're on the go. You have to have the next step already charted out. Um, which yeah, it's a fascinating, relatable element that this film captured super well. Another thing that I was interested in talking about was going along with you know Danielle feeling aimless in life. In certain portions of her life, she's trying to take control or have some degree of power, uh, and I think that you know is explicitly tied to the sugar baby thing like when maya right is her name the her friend she maya is asking her like oh why do you do it um and then danielle responded with oh because i wanted power and then also like an easy way to get money or something like that but that element to it of wanting some sense of power or some sense of control i thought was fascinating so what are your guys's thoughts on that dimension to it of like Danielle being a sugar baby and then throughout the film like there are some times where she does try to even when she knows Max is married and has a child and that his wife and child are at said Shiva she goes up to that bathroom upstairs and tries to do something with him so what are your guys' thoughts on that element of the movie yeah um well, I think everyone feels panicked, I would say, or at least a little insecure when they don't have control for the most part. I know some people thrive without control. They like things to be taken care of for them. But um, I would say in general, I, I mean, probably most people feel like a little bit of panic when they can't be in control of a situation, especially when you can't be in control of your own life. Um, when you have other people telling you how to live your life or telling you what's important in life and things like that. And obviously, she goes through a lot of that during the movie. Um, but yeah, just like with her, with her and Max, that dynamic, I thought that was so fascinating when even though she's at this party, she still tried to pursue him. I was so caught off guard by that. I guess I didn't expect it because I thought that she would think that he was like backstabbing, you know, because he didn't tell her about that, that whole um, arrangement that he has with his wife. But it's like, she somehow still needed to feel like she was the one in power and maybe it's because he kind of betrayed her um that she felt she needed to to be the one who still had the control in the situation but i don't know i think it's just her her behavior i think is because she feels so out of control in all of the other aspects of her life so it's like this is the one thing that she can control this relationship with her and max i don't know if that makes sense but yeah. Yeah, I would. I would agree. I think it's it's a very interesting character moment because it's like it's like you said in that moment, she sort of like kind of loses a lot of the power that she had over him very quickly. Um, in the initial scene, like with her parents, where it's revealed that she's not a law school student, and like among many other things, and so he's kind of learning that she's been lying to him the whole time. But then immediately afterwards, you find out like, oh, he's, um, he, he's, he's a jerk. And so I was like trying to find a not swear word to call him. <laughs> you um, can swear on the show. Okay, okay. He's a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let it loose. <laughs> Give him what for. And, um, yeah. And then I think it's like really interesting because, like Cam was saying, like, even though that's going on, like, she's still, it's like, you know, her power over him at that point is you're cheating on your wife and you have a kid. 
like you're a bad person and I could just reveal that to everyone here at any point. But it's like, she's still, she's still like that. She doesn't want that, you know? Cause like, if she does that, then it's going to go away. And I think that that's like a really interesting character moment for her is her trying to get that back because, you know, they've already had their little talk of like, Oh, are we good? And she's like, yeah, of course. And like, he's, sort of tried to gauge, like, her interest in him still, despite learning everything about him. And I think it's just, it's like Cam says, just so interesting that she, like, she takes that step herself to try and, like, get him back and to, like, um, get the ball back in her own, in her own court. And, you know, by the end of it, like, I guess she does kind of win because his wife presumably found out about him, like, from her phone, you know, so presumably they're not going to be together much longer, hopefully, especially since he's basically leeching off of her. But yeah, I just think that that's kind of a cool aspect of the movie in general is just the power dynamics it portrays. Cause like, you know, and then like just the reveals you get, like even with him and his wife, the reveal that she is in fact the one that makes their money and that he's been using the money that she makes to pay Danielle for these hookups I thought that was really cool and like really interesting because like on the one hand it makes Danielle feel even more inadequate because she's like, Oh great. Like she's better than me, you know, in her head, she's like, she's better than me in every way. But on the other hand, it's also like, you know, but it also, you know, makes you more powerful than him because he's like an even bigger loser than you thought he was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that was a fascinating element as well. When you learn that, she is the breadwinner basically and is low-key funding the sugar dadding that's going on there um which is just so even worse on max's part like wow but danielle's initial reaction to that is she's reacting negative negatively towards um the wife what was her name what was it exactly i think it was oh hold on uh what was it kim kim Kim. Okay, there you go. Um, I never would have guessed that. I really, I did not process her name at all. Okay, so Kim, yeah, she being the breadwinner and like having her life together and being a mom and all of this. Danielle sees her having it all together and then is looking at her own self and being like, "Oh, I have nothing together at all." And here I am, like being a homewrecker potentially for this family. Um, so yeah, it makes her want to try and tear down Kim in her mind. She's like passing off some of these insults or whatnot, but ultimately, yeah, she has to concede later on. It's like, no, like, yeah, Kim does have it all together. And then I truly do not. And then when she has that breakdown of Kim giving the baby, like trying to have Danny just hold it, hold the baby. Uh, and then yeah it all falls apart when max sees that happening and tries to come in and stop it and then the the vase shattered and then the like torres fell over right yeah so yeah that was the big tragic unfortunate display to everyone that was at the shiva of just how not together danny's life was but then later towards the end of the film with the whole van thing with everyone getting stuffed into the van we do get some idea that at least for danny like things will be okay since she 
sort of reconnected with Maya. And at the least, whatever was going on with Max, she'll no longer be a part of that. So she can be free from that elements of her life. She has Maya back. And she was able to have some catharsis of admitting, I guess, to her mom, but really to herself, sadly, in view of everybody there, uh, that, yeah, she has things to work on and she's not okay at the moment, but she'll be able to get through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Wow, I was going to say something, and then, you know, my brain did, my brain did, <laughs> did a, no, you're not, you forgot what that was, so if I remember it, I'll say it. Gotcha. Yeah, any other observations about this film? Any other of the like, oh, plots oh. or anything? I, I remember now, I remember, it finally came to me. Uh, I was going to say, I really liked that the climax wasn't her outing Max, because I feel like as satisfying as that um, could have been. I kind of like that it's a lot more realistic that she, because I feel like even like if you like, you know, obviously she's in like more in the right in that situation because like she had no idea like that he was married, that he had or that he had a kid and was genuinely just like trying to make some like extra money. And like, so I feel like it's like it could have worked. And like, I'm sure that Kim would have been like, you know, very understanding and like, yeah, he's a, He's not a good person. Um, sorry that that happened. But I like that the emotional climax was more of like a realistic one of her just becoming so overwhelmed in that moment and having to leave. And I also thought it was a very, I like the way I just, I like the relationship between her and her mom as well. I like that, how we see that kind of evolve throughout and you kind of, the mom in a way realizes that she's putting a bit too much pressure on her. And that she needs to be, she needs to stop pushing her and she needs to just be a mom and just love her and take care of her. And I thought that was very sweet. Like I thought the moment when she, um, her, she has to pull her aside to clean her shirt, right? Yeah. Yeah, like coffee coffee. yeah. And I thought that was like a really nice halfway point of her just taking care of her and being really sweet. And then I love the end when the mom's like, we can go, like, it's okay. You know, we'll make up an excuse. We can get out of here if you need to. And yeah, just that. And then also Maya and her having like Maya really made me angry with the phone thing. Um, even though like it's a very realistic reaction, like, you know, obviously she would be upset. And so I really like that afterwards we get like also that scene between the two of them where Maya apologizes. I thought that was very, again, very realistic. It just felt very real. Like it felt like very real types of reactions and interactions that humans would be having in a situation like this. And I feel like we don't get that super duper often with movies. I feel like some, a lot of the time when movies try to do that, it's not engaging. And so I think this movie like did a really good job of making itself realistic and true to life without being boring. Yeah, I definitely agree. I was going to say, um, also other moments that stood out to me was when she was trying to figure out if she was going to eat or not. And she had like the food at the table. I don't know why, for some reason that to me just felt so human and told me a lot about her character, just like the indecisiveness. Like, should I put on a show for everyone here and engage in everything that's going on? Um, or should I just like be myself and then 
that was just like the awkwardness of it all and everyone talking to her and her having to talk to people that she didn't want to talk to things like that it's just there's so many little elements of that throughout the movie that make you feel so tense um and i think that the way that it was directed i guess just it felt very i don't know like panicky i don't know how to explain it just like i don't know how they were able to keep the tension that strong throughout the entire movie like (laughs) there was not a moment of levity besides the kiss for me i think the rest of it was just like whoa this is tense and then also with the kiss and everything um their dynamic uh maya and danielle was so wild throughout because i was kind of like okay they're never gonna make up and then it was like oh they are gonna make up and then i was like wait now they're fighting (laughs) i was like what's going on the whole time i'm I'm interested to think or see what you guys think about that like about their relationship dynamics yeah that was one that like a lot of the banter that they're doing and whatnot i think like them being at each other's throats definitely lean more towards the comedy aspect and it was definitely entertaining to watch um and i do like that they had a lot of dynamic changes in the relationship of being at each other's throats and they are there for each other in that like moment of quiet when she had to leave the house just to like get some calm um and then they're able to have that moment but then right after you get the rug pulled out from under you as she finds out about the phone and then she's sort of being you know more nasty towards uh danielle which again like owen as you said like that's a very human reaction because she's obviously hurt by that and so she wants to just hurt danielle back um so it makes sense um but yeah i thought it was really fascinating how yeah you could tell they clearly cared for each other there's a lot of history there that was being referenced by like the mom and them even by themselves of talking about how they went to prom together um so i thought all that was super well done it would be the part like as you're mentioning owen of like the true to life stuff a lot of it is so realistic and like well captured like well observed um but then yeah it has these other moments where a lot of the banter is obviously played up and so like wouldn't be quite so realistic uh and then a lot of the anxiety moments where they're just layering on all the sounds and all the in the like horror type score um to just bring that feeling to the forefront even more and have it really take you um those moments i thought the fact that they all worked well together was a great testament to yeah the direction overall of it's not easy to have those those moments of it being like a very slice of life realistic moment between two characters doing something very natural and very human and then having the much more punched up trying to evoke a particular feeling and sensation using all these bombastic you know filmic tools of the sound design and the score like that stuff was really well handled um but yeah that relationship itself i thought was a good aspect to the film um and yeah i thought it was fascinating i can't remember did we ever find out exactly what made the two of them like break it off or like have that falling out um i don't I think so i yeah, don't think I don't, so either I which i think that. is a smart choice because yeah that's also like a another moment of it being true to life of they had that nice moment where they sort of mended things but they didn't hash out whatever it was that made them have the initial divide between them whatever that rift was 
Um, and then at the end, when they're like holding hands, we're saying, okay, it seems like they are patching things up. But again, we don't get like this moment of it being very melodramatic and emotional of them, like apologizing to each other for whatever errors they committed in their relationship or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was another very smart writing choice to just leave whatever it was that broke them apart to subtext don't actually explicitly mention what that was um i think it made that those two characters interacting a lot more fascinating in the long run yeah for sure for sure i agree i i again i i like the relationship because it's like you get the sense that it was just such a complex romantic relationship and like clearly they had loved each other for a very long time and so it was probably like a really just heartbreaking thing to break up from each other and i also i like the part where they're arguing about how like she's like well you never talked to me she's like yes i do and she's like you know you never talked to me she's like i replied to your story she's like that's not talking to me and she's like you don't reply to reply and i'm like it's like these people just they feel so human it's like whether or not she agrees with that it's like that's not what she's saying you know it's again like just such good subtext it's like she's not mad that she replied to her story she's mad that that's the only like form of communication that she attempted mm-hmm. after their breakup and i just i love that so much and uh just yeah it's just like I said, it just felt like a real relationship and it's like you know i'm sure that there was like like you know there's definitely like some toxicity there but like also like they're angry at each other. Like, of course there's going to be a bit of toxicity there. Like, you know, that's just, that just is what it is. And I, I, I like that by the end of it, they both, yeah, especially like, I feel like Danielle, especially by the end of it, probably realized, cause you know, obviously Maya's went there on the hope that Danielle will be there and that she could see her. But, you know, Danielle obviously didn't really go there for that reason. Danielle went cause she felt obligated to go. And at least I think, um, but I, I like that a lot that by the end of it, Danielle, if anything is the one that's like a hundred percent on board with like the two of them being together again and how, like, if anything, she kind of realizes that Maya might be like one of the best things about her life and that it's something that she should try to hold on to more so than, you know, someone like Max who takes advantage of her, um, emotionally, and is just like and also takes advantage of his wife's wealth among other many other things and i thought that that was just very very cute very 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 cute ending um also like the father um the father the mother and the father's relationship i'll say that at the end how the mom's always like you know you got alzheimer's or you got dementia and all this other shit that she throws at him like that that was cracking me up i was like they're such they're such old people and it's amazing yeah absolutely. like you tell that they are like deeply and madly in love with each other but also like they've been married for god knows how long and they're like at the point where they're just gonna do nothing but complain about the bullshit that they don't like that the other person does yeah <sighs> <laughs> all right any other last-minute thoughts as we wrap up our talk about Shiva Baby? Um, 
Um, I like the mom's the mom's acting a lot. I think she really brings together the anxiety and also just the comedy of it because she's so out there and so I don't know animated. <laughs> like <laughs> all of her all of her things that she says are so clever and like such a mom thing to say. Um, the way that she's just kind of on Danielle's back the whole time, just like pointing in all these different opinions that she has the whole time. I mean, obviously, I love my mom, but I was like, that's my mom. <laughs> like, the whole time, I was like, <laughs> she's just, I don't know, so persistent and so, like, overbearing about a lot of things. It was so funny. I was like, that's really funny and relatable. But, yeah, and then the dad was just kind of, like, proud of his daughter, but confused on what her prospects were because of her career. But the parents were just so funny. I don't know. Just so you know, Cam, as I was watching it, I literally said, that's Cam's mom. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same exact thought. I was like, this is literally Cam's mom. This is Cam's mom, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. All right. So now for our ratings. Out of how many literal babies at a Shiva? Out of five. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to start us off, Cam? I feel like I would give it like three babies out of five three or four babies out of five because it was really good but it was like it wasn't i don't know i don't know what i expected from it but it wasn't what i expected when i went into it it was like completely different it was almost like a horror movie and i was expecting a comedy right it does yeah switch things up on you so which one is it how many babies we needed an exact head count okay 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 three babies out of five three babies out of five all right owen how about you uh, I think I'll give it a nice crisp four babies out of five. Four babies out of five? Okay, solid, solid. I'm going to give it a three out of five as well. Three babies at that Shiva. What's crazy, though, is Cam, you gave it a lower rating than Owen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was your I, film. <laughs> I like it. I'm just bad at rating things because I never give anything like a higher rating unless it was like amazing to me, like groundbreaking. You can check my letterbox and you'll be like, wow, Cam doesn't like movies at all. Like They don't <laughs> they don't like what they watch. Right. But it's just like for me, if I'm going to rate something a four or five, it has to have like like opened my third eye. Like I have to like, I don't know. But it was it was really good. I'm really excited for her future work, um, Emma's work. But um, yeah, and Rachel's work as well. They were amazing in it. I would say, if anything, 3.5 babies. But I don't know if you can cut a baby in half. So I didn't say that. <laughs> we do allow half ratings. So yeah, okay. you can bump it up to 3.5. <laughs> yeah, 3.5 babies. Damn, half a baby. <laughs> I know. That's literally why I didn't have the baby. I was like, I can't have a baby. It's okay. I was, I was literally just going to say, <laughs> I was literally just going to say, yeah, literally, you can't even ask Cam what their least favorite movie is. They're not going to tell you what their least favorite film is. They're going to tell you a movie that they have gripes with. Yeah. <laughs> because of, because, because they didn't get it. Mm-mm. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Yeah. You know exactly which movie I'm going to talk about if you start that. Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe that should be the next guest flick picks. Maybe we gotta hash out that uh, all those gripes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you want to do an entire episode on Cam's gripes with the Dune? Yeah, oh my God, is Dune? No. Yes. Oh, we might need that because we had we did an episode on Dune. We called it the Dune Roundtable. 
we had like three people come on in addition to me to talk about it. And bro, I was the only one in Dune's corner. I was backing my man Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> oh, and you like it too. You really like Dune, right? I do. Yeah, I thought it, like it's definitely not my favorite Denis movie. I kind of, I'm kind of upset with how the Academy treats him. I feel like two of his movies, at least from what I've seen of Arrival, two of his lesser movies have gotten like a ton of praise where like a lot of his movies that I think deserved that praise don't get recognized. Mm. And like for Dune, like I think the opposite, the other side of the coin of that for me is Blade Runner 2049. We did oh, an yeah. episode on that. So we did. obviously I love that movie. <laughs> Good but plug. Like, I, Everyone go revisit the uh, 2049 episode with Owen. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. then, uh, <laughs> I guess it was this time last year, right, that Euphoria was ending. So you can yeah. revisit oh, our episode was. with Cam. Revisit so. Euphoria with Cam, yes. Yes, I, 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 I hmm? Oh, what? sorry. I was just going to say, I would be down to do an episode where we talk about things that were movies that we didn't enjoy as much or like TV shows that we didn't enjoy as much. Because I feel like that that's also a good balance. But that's up to you, Ryan. Obviously, it's your podcast. No, I mean, I'm down to do that as long as it's an interesting conversation. And sometimes, yeah, if you're really passionate about it, but in a negative way, I mean, that can spark good conversation. So yeah. I'd be down to do that. You and me in, the, in Dune's Corner exactly repping our people on arrakis people on arrakis ham <laughs> repping the harkonnens you exactly bastard. <laughs> no. how could you be on team baron harkonnen <laughs> i'm on team i didn't understand the movie i think <laughs> ham's on team should probably get the movie a rewatch before they do this episode just to make sure that they really don't like True. it that much yeah, dune maybe. part two coming out later this year so be a good time to revisit it i'm so excited oh my gosh but all right that is all the time we have if you would like to give your thoughts on the show you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com our main title theme for the show is sundown by joseph mcdade and if you are listening to this on a podcast that or a podcast app that allows you to give a rating be sure to give us five stars i also want to thank cameron and owen for coming on to the show. Glad to have you both here. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks Thank for, having for having me. Us. Oh. oh, wow, James. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> all right. That's all for this episode. See you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.